Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Lainey and... Hi, it's Duanna. And this is our third episode of our still unnamed podcast. Are we still unnamed? We just didn't talk about it, but we're getting ever closer. We threw out working class. Uh Uh-huh. And people really seemed to respond well to that. And then there were people who didn't, which I thought was really interesting. People who thought that maybe that refers to uh, the working class in like a negative way, in a way that's being used politically right now. Yep. But I thought that was kind of good because that's why we we talked about it, right? You and I are proud to be of the working class in the ways that that phrase can be interpreted. And I also like working class because class for me calls back to that thing that I always say about if I were the dean of the faculty of celebrity studies at a university somewhere in New England. And so, you know, we're kind of in gossip class. Yes, it, it's closer than ever to a lecture is what you're saying. <laughs> I don't mean to be lecturing in this podcast, but anyway. So are we decided? It's right up there. There were a lot of people who enjoyed machinations too. And then there Mm -hmm. were people who were like, no, that's about trucks. Um, So, you know, uh, I like the literalists too. I would say if you have something else for us, if there's something that is an awesome name that uh, we should have come up with by now, hit us up with it. Let us know. Otherwise, we might be getting pretty close. Yep. Um. I should also say that although this is getting posted at the usual time, which is Monday, we're actually recording a bit earlier than usual on Thursday. So that explains why if anything breaks, we might miss it. And the reason why we are recording earlier than usual is because Duanna is going on a trip that I should have been joining her on. We were going to take this very romantic trip to New York at Christmas time, just the two of us. Uh huh. Um, to go see Hamilton. Oh God! And I have to fucking work on Saturday, December third, which is the day that I got tickets for Hamilton for us to go finally. And I have to work. I have a shoot, so um, I'm going with my husband, who I also love. I'm Hi. over here crying. It's but true. continue. But. His parents were asking about they'd heard the tickets were so crazy. And I said, well, we didn't pay those crazy prices. But he said, right, but how much are those crazy prices? And I told him, if you go on StubHub right now looking for tickets, you know, they're listed for $1,900, $2,100 a seat. At which point he said, so you're not still going, are you? Meaning like, why wouldn't you just pocket, you know, yeah. four grand US? So obviously no. I'm, I'm not thinking financially. I, listen, it wasn't even a question. I was like, you go, take your person, and I'm going to have to go at another time. But what I, the thing that makes me even crazier is that, like, right now, going to Hamilton, even though it's not the original cast, it is the cast of Mike Pence, like, not of Mike Pence, but in the post-Mike Pence incident 
era. They got to be there and say the things. Yeah. And look at him. These yeah. are the people. And, oh, they're anyway. still going to be there. We're, we're going to go. We're going to have our romantic trip in April and uh, they're going to be there. But that's it. Like, it's a six-month wait. Like, when I got these tickets in June right after the Tonys, it was like, that's your standard wait time. And now it's another fucking standard six-month wait time. Anyway, I have to get over it. So… Okay, so let's uh, change the subject, make you feel better. Uh, we were going to start with something, and I thought, like, we should brand this. We're talking about work and about sort of women at work and taking credit for things. So why don't we start with, like, a brag segment? Uh, tell us the <laughs> thing that you have to brag about. You're, I'm doing this under protest. However, I shouldn't do it under protest because I just wrote a column in Flair about being proud of our achievements, especially when we really believe we've earned them. So I have just been named to the list of 100 most powerful women in Canada. Um, I don't know. Sound effect? Applause? Oh, do we have sound effects? That'll be really exciting. I, I would like to be the kind of podcast people where we have a little soundboard that we just press the button for things yeah. that go like boing. Um, anyway, that was uh, that happened. Um, I went to an, a gala with the other hundred women, and I'm gonna be honest. Like when it happened, and they informed me, I was like, "Oh, this is great." But I didn't know that it would mean as much as it meant to me until I was there that night and surrounded by if you want to say 99 other powerful women and learning about their accomplishments and being in that group, it felt really good. It felt really um, inspiring, you know, all those words, empowering, blah, blah, blah. Like it, there was just a sense of home um, there. And yet, even the organization, it's the Women's Executive Network, they put this on every year. It's heavily, um, it's quite, I mean, I don't mean to brag, but it's quite prestigious. Well, no, let's just pause okay. there for a second because that's <laughs> twice now that you've… Why not brag? Why okay. not say? We've been talking about yes. this and the idea that women need to talk up their accomplishments. Yes. So I think we should try it as an exercise and right. see if we stop feeling weird and awkward about it. Fine. The Women's Executive Network is quite a prestigious uh, organization and, uh, for instance… All the major banks are represented at this event, and bank heads, presidents of the banks are among these women who are named 100 Most Powerful. So I was standing shoulder to shoulder with, with these people. And um, they said themselves, the Women's Executive Network, that they want to work on diversity. They, in their speech, uh -huh. um, said that this was one of the goals of, um, of, of you know, their program that they were hoping to encourage more diversity and make sure that diverse women rise to positions of power. So I felt very proud to be there. And I'm telling you this because there weren't very many people who looked like me in that room. And so I also felt a big sense of responsibility. I'm very proud of our site too, Duanna. Like for a site that is representative of pretty much exclusively female voices, Lainey Gossip, we are doing pretty good at the kinds of, the, you know, the voices who we, that are represented and the inclusion across the board. Can we do better? Of course. I mean, of course we can do better, but I think we're doing pretty great. Absolutely. And while still doing the thing you always set out to do, while still 
doing the stuff that is in and of your brand. That's the coolest part to me is that it's a becoming incredibly successful by doing what you would be doing anyway because people like that. But I do want to, you know, shout out to all the people who've been visiting the site since the very, very beginning, since it was a newsletter. There are people who've been reading our shit for like 13 more that like many, many years, over, well over a decade. And so obviously I would not have been able to get that honor, that achievement um, without the support of the people who like read us every day and send us emails nice and nasty. Absolutely. Like them both. <laughs> and um, please continue to do so. So thank you so much. Um, but yeah, on that note about achievements and um, recognition, yeah, that's a nice segue, I think, to the person I want to talk about first on today's podcast. We are in the middle of award season, uh, which will culminate with you and me in a hotel room um, the night of the Oscars frantically cranking out 50 or so posts about the Oscars. It's actually crazy what you just said. You said we're in the middle of award season, but it is the beginning of December right now. In yeah. theory, award season hasn't really begun. But in fact, yeah. uh, as we all you often talk about, the run-up to the season begins, you know, months in the past, right? Yeah. I mean, some would argue it begins at Cannes. I disagree. Like, I think that's a bit too early. But probably around TIFF time. That's award season. And one of the films that everybody's been talking about all year is Manchester by the Sea. It's a terrific film. And the star of Manchester by the Sea is Casey Affleck. So this week, Casey Affleck, I think he's taken the Gotham. He Today, I mentioned it's Thursday, he's taken the New York Film Critics Circle Award for Best Actor. Um, I think he took the NBR. So Casey Affleck is definitely the front runner for the Best Actor Oscar. And the reason I want to talk about this is because Casey Affleck has a little bit of a problem to me, not even a little bit, there is a problem on Casey Affleck's resume when you consider what also happened to Nate Parker. So, so read. Yeah, read the Daily Beast. We're going to post that when this uh, podcast gets posted. Read the Daily Beast article. Read the Mashable article that I keep on linking to. I have been mentioning this, drumming, beating this drum for months, weeks and weeks and months. So for people who don't know, let's just say there are sexual harassment allegations against Casey Affleck, two of them actually, uh, both stemming from the film that he did with Joaquin Phoenix. Correct. I'm not here. Yes, sexual allegation, sexual harassment allegations. The suit, the case was settled out of court, right? But you can read the depositions and you can read the statements from the alleged victims. There were two on that Daily Beast article and they have been posted online. And the Daily Beast last week got pretty specific about the claims that these women made against Casey Affleck. And what's interesting to me is the women are crew members from the film. They Correct. are not, uh, not that it matters, but it is a different context. And I think that's what we're talking about here is context. They are respectively a producer on the film and the DOP, the director of photography. And both, uh, I think, did not finish their mm -hmm. supposed contracts on the film, but both were working there in production capacities. And that's when these events uh, took place, allegedly. Right. Now, the comparison here is Nate Parker. 
So we all know what happened with Nate Parker. He was tried and acquitted for rape when he was in college. His alleged victim then died by suicide. Many years later. many, Many years later. The Birth of a Nation, his film, was considered to be a hopeful for the Oscars. And those plans were derailed. I don't think that that's an exaggeration. No, not by at all. the news and the conversation around his past. Yes. So the comparison here is why aren't we at least talking more about Casey Affleck? It was a throwaway line in a variety feature about him a few weeks ago. Nobody is have it's definitely not as loud. It's not even loud. It is completely quiet. It's whispers if at all. Absolutely. Entertainment Weekly's podcast this week talked about this very issue and talked about the fact that it's actually appalling. That we're not, I'm not saying that it should be a witch hunt. I'm not saying that people should line up and spit at Casey Affleck. I'm just saying, why can't he take the question? Why can't he be asked about it the way Nate Parker was asked about it? Compelled to be asked about it. Well, let's talk about this. So he, as far as we know, have you ever seen him be asked about it and defer? It's just not coming up, right? Well, it came up in the variety piece, but that sounded like such an engineered, like uh, a pre-thing, like, hey, at one point, I'm just going to drop in this question and you just need to get, like, we'll just take your answer. But there was no follow-up. And so um, in that variety piece, again, I said it ended up being a two-line throwaway. Uh, what's interesting, though, is that Casey Affleck is doing press, and there are occasions for him to be in front of the media, and The Wrap reported this week that a entertainment journalist posted on social media a link to that Daily Beast article that detailed some of the allegations against Casey Affleck, and that Casey Affleck's publicist reportedly called up the entertainment journalist asked that person to take it down, and it was pulled down. Not to share it. Not to, you know, let other people see it. So there is an active strategy in place to protect Casey Affleck, and part of that strategy involves reaching out to media members and asking them to comply, asking them to participate in this tamp down. I want to talk about why that would be, why there would be complicity and participation, and also who are the stakeholders. But I want to be really clear that, A, uh, as you've said, the, the Daily Beast has the allegations in detail, but I want to be clear about two things. The women use their real names. We know exactly who they are and what the allegations are. You can IMDB them. And, and exactly, they are working in film and television. They continue to be a part of this community. They're not nobodies. They're not strangers. They are not freshman girls from almost 20 years ago, as in the case of Nate Parker uh, and his friends. So I think that's really interesting that the people who are saying this kind of thing are we know the stereotypes about when somebody says, oh, this happened. I have read terrible articles about the allegations against R. Kelly, which are too numerous for us to go into here. But they are, to use an uncomfortable word, not people who are well-known. By comparison, the women we're talking about here have 
a lot of visibility. So I think that's a really interesting thing to note as we talk about why publicists, why maybe film studios, distributors, etc., are working to keep this underground. Well, I mean, number one, their immediate purpose to keep this underground is because Manchester by the Sea has a legitimate, very good chance at contending for Oscar in so many categories, but he seems to be the golden star of Manchester by the Sea in that he has the best chance to walk away with a trophy that night. Um, so there's that whole campaign, a whole studio, a whole whatever behind that. Casey Affleck is pretty well connected. He has a last name that we know. Oh, for sure. And has crafted, you always talk about the image people craft, and his image that has been crafted, the quotes that I have seen come up over and over again as I've been reading are things like, I don't want to be that famous. I'm happy just to be working. He's not a fame whore who's trying to find his way through this. So there's no distaste from Academy voters the way there can be around a more famous brother or whatnot. And he has powerful allies. That famous brother is a powerful ally. Matt Damon is one of the producers on the film. That's a powerful ally. So there is definitely a system in place. What I, what I also, I mean, I write about this a lot, but what I also want to draw attention to is the imbalance of power because, you know, people seem to think that entertainment journalists are just there to be ridiculed. They ask the same questions over and over again. If I could do that job, I'd do such a better job and they're boring and whatnot. But like, we have our hands tied a lot in these situations. You get a call from Casey Affleck's publicist saying, pull that link down. And the implication is an or else. And let's just spell it out. The or else is if you don't do it, you are not going to get another interview. They often have access to many, many films and many, many stars. Yeah. You're whole publication or broadcast or whatever it is that you're on can be locked out, uh, which is why there's kind of freedom on being on the outside because you're not beholden to anybody, but you're also not getting any access, right? right. This is the sort of golden handcuffs of the whole thing. That's right. And listen, they can operate the way they want to operate and that's fine, but this is coming from the same industry where so many of their peers are yelling up and down about freedom of the press and freedom of expression, and freedom of artistic expression. And yet, what is this if it's not a muzzle? So let's talk about this a little bit, because actually I am less interested in the person, the the perpetrator. If he did this, and, you know, read the allegations and see what you think, but I don't think there's any strong denials coming out. And as you said, it was settled as opposed to contesting. I mean, he denied it initially through his very powerful, very aggressive lawyer. And, it, you know, and yes, it was settled. So, I mean, I don't want to get our ass sued here because, yes, they operate from, this is the same conversation. We operate from a position of fear. Fine. But that is what we expect to happen. You see it with a Nate Parker, with a Casey Affleck, with whomever else gets into trouble. They're going to say, I didn't do it. I'm interested in the people who work surrounding these people, whose job it is to look at something that maybe, allegedly, probably, kind of, could have happened, and actively work to suppress it. How do you think they justify that? I mean, when we talk about justification, even some people out there who read our site, I want to to say justify it, but rationalize it in a way, you know, harassment isn't as bad as rape. And Nate Parker's victim is no longer with us. 
And these women still have jobs. Oh, and they probably boy. got paid, right? You know, you, you've heard all of it. You heard all of it in Amber Heard. You, you know, these are the, this is the shit that gets tossed around. And so there are people who have written to us saying, Lainey, it's not the same. Nate Parker and Casey Affleck is not the same. Rape and sexual harassment is not the same. And I get it. 100% the severity of, of that woman taking her life is certainly not as bad as the two women who are still alive and still working. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that both of that kind of behavior exists on one spectrum. Well, that's now you're talking about legitimate rape. I'm making little finger quotes if you can see me. Now yeah. you're saying it only counts if it is a perfect rape, a perfect victim, somebody who is, we talk about this all the time, who is walking down the street in snow pants in broad daylight and somebody jumps out of the bushes uh, with a knife to their throat. Yeah. Anything else is not that bad, kind of okay. Locker room talk. And I got to be honest with you, as I was reading some of these allegations, I thought, oh yeah, that would happen. That would happen on a set. I absolutely would hear crew guys talking like that. Not always. Yeah. Not always in a way that is directed at you. And the the bigger production that you work on, the more checks and balances and the fewer opportunities there are for that kind of thing to go unchecked. But I don't doubt it for a minute. I don't doubt that an environment can breed those comments to multiply and become more and more insidious. And I don't see, yeah, at what point we decide, oh, but that's kind of okay. Why should it be okay? Why should it be okay? And in a time when we are, let's be honest, talking about the alleged sort of leader of the free world being somebody who has all manner of allegations against him that say that he does not respect women, that he has perpetrated terrible crimes against women. We can't afford any nuance. This is the sad thing about where we are. No nuance is acceptable. No nuance is allowable because we obviously don't deal with it well as a society. That's exactly it. And if we allow for these nuances in one case versus another, when all of these behaviors exist on one spectrum, then we're not challenging misogyny the way that we need to in order to make it change, go away, in order to make it safer. So what should we do? I am sitting here talking to you, but, you know, do we not go to this movie? Do we email publications and and talk about the things they didn't talk about? There are no answers here in terms of what to do. What's To me, what is critical is the conversation. I just want to have the conversation. I just want someone to continue to have the conversation the way that we had the conversation around Nate Parker. I want us to have that conversation, workplace sexual harassment around Casey Affleck. We're not doing that. I don't think we can find the answer and decide do we go see the movie? What do we do? Until we're able to have that dialogue. I don't know if we see the movie or not. I mean, the movie is an, an outstanding achievement. Kenny Lonergan does a great job. Michelle Williams is amazing. The movie will move you and touch you. It is deserving of all its accolades. I don't know. Can we separate that from the artist? Hello, Woody Allen. Well, you know, that's is, a different conversation entirely. This is what's so interesting to me because if we keep having the conversation, and I agree with you that we have to keep talking about it and bring it up every time, but I think if we keep having the conversation, we're going to discover that this is 
infinitely more common than we expect that it's happening over and over and over again. We could fill 10 podcasts just with the allegations where there's enough information to figure out who it was and what happened. And that's what I think people are afraid of. That's what I think the media outlets are afraid of. If you start running every sexual harassment story that's probably true, God, there's nothing else to print. It would fill up everything. And that's where we are. Because as you said, you recognized, you read those allegations and you recognize, oh yeah, I've seen that. That could happen. Yep. Two years ago, me or whatever. Absolutely. Um, And listen, and we haven't even touched on the comparison with respect to race here. Exactly. People are really happy to have packed away a situation that looks clear cut to them in the case of Nate Parker. Well, that's over and done with. You could even look at it from the angle of we've caught our sexual harasser, sexual predator for the year. It does seem as though, well, there's not room for another. Or because he ticked X box, allegedly, maybe, we don't need another one. We don't need to indict the next person. See also Johnny Depp, right? The idea that the story and the things that have happened to him fell away so quickly because there are more important things to worry about, worse things, more legitimate rapes. Or abuses. Exactly. I mean... Listen, I'll just leave this right here, but when this kind of thing unfolds the way it has unfolded, I have to wonder whether or not Casey Affleck is getting a pass because he doesn't look like Nate Parker. Oh, I think absolutely. And he looks like the sexiest man alive in years whatever and whatever Affleck has won because he has those links of privilege 100% and because there are going to be allegations against somebody, people really want to talk about them. We could go off on a long road here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to drop two words, Bill Cosby. Mm-hmm. But we should move on. Um, <laughs> but think about that the next yeah. time the story comes up or doesn't and who we are seeing in these roles and aren't. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So Casey, as I mentioned, is basically doing the circuit and playing the game as the front runner for Best Actor Oscar. And um, this week in The Hollywood Reporter is the Actors' Roundtable. And I quite like these. You and I have enjoyed these roundtables. Absolutely. You know, we've enjoyed them. We've been annoyed by them. But they're pretty addictive. Like, you know, once one of them goes up, I'm like, I have to read it. I have to look at all the videos. Well, you can read them and see one sort of set of stories. You watch the videos and see another. I have loved watching the people who are uncomfortable, who feel out of their depth, et cetera. It's a lot of fun. I will tell you that the actor roundtable is annoying as fuck. Like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, I mean… All of them actually just get together and it becomes that conversation about oh, my craft and this and that. It's, it's like, I don't know. I, I hated it. I, I found that in comparison to the 
to the actresses roundtable where they seemed like all of the dudes I felt like we're talking in silos. They weren't listening to each other. It was an opportunity for each dude to talk about how committed he was to his craft. And just waiting for the previous person to finish speaking so that they can talk That's the way I read it. I mean, Jeff Bridges was maybe the most engaging, but he's Jeff Bridges, right? Um, So what's interesting is that Variety… You know, knowing that um, the Hollywood Porter has these really great successful roundtables, has now started, maybe not started, but is introducing a series of interviews of their own during award season where actors interview and dialogue with each other. So you had like all kinds of pairings. Like Interview Magazine come to life. That's right. Great. And so um, the one that I wanted to talk about today was Taraji P. Henson and Ryan Reynolds which is a great combination, like kind of random and hilarious and awesome, and they had great chemistry, Taraji and Ryan Reynolds interviewing each other about their own careers. Taraji did the Actress Roundtable for The Hollywood Reporter, and now Taraji's participating in the variety um, sort of counterpart. Taraji, of course, is in Hidden Figures and is part of the awards discussion. She hasn't gotten anything so far, but she's hustling it. And we think that that's going to be a nomination in Best Supporting Actress or Lead Actress? Lead. She's a long shot. So part of the interview that I want to talk about, which is what uh, Kathleen sort of touched on in her post about it this week, is talking about the auditions and what you're right for and what you're not right for. And I, I love, I mean, this kind of stuff to me is super interesting. Who went for what part? The sliding doors of Hollywood. Who could have played this? So we talked about it a little bit last week that when you go to an audition, everybody there is exactly your type. I uh, am not auditioning, but I see people come in. And if you write and describe a character as, oh, I don't know, a brunette tough girl with kind of an edge, you will see brunette after brunette come in with ringed eyeliner and uh, a temporary tattoo Mm -hmm. and a leather jacket and so forth. I was reading an actress memoir the other day, and she said uh, that she always carried in her bag for auditions a denim shirt to play moms and a black blazer for the young executive, which I thought was amazing. I can't remember the quote and who said this, but you're right, because that's your point last week was about how that's how they all get to know each other on this little circuit. And someone said something about Julie Bowen. Of Modern Family once before, like just recently about like, you know, whenever I walked into a room and I saw Julie Bowen, I I knew I wasn't getting the role or something like that. There's this great scene in Better Things where Pamela Adlon plays a working actress who goes into an audition and sits down beside Constance Zimmer playing herself. And they both have that sarcastic, dark haired, like, ugh, we're playing the tough business bitch role. And they are surrounded by... 10, 12 other women who look like them. And you can see the casting agent come out loving somebody and they're like, fuck, we're done. We don't, we don't get this job. And I also never would have thought of Constance Zimmer and Pamela Adlon as being a type, but you kind of get it. It's like, yeah, you get to know the people who are in your same class, your same level and type and achievement circuit. And for Taraji, like she was talking about going for Olivia Pope. Amazing. So that's Taraji, and if we're talking about types, then that's Taraji and Carrie Washington. 
Yeah, I'm trying to think who else you put in there. Uh, because Olivia Pope in season one is young, intelligent, 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 but still feels young. Or maybe that's what Kerry Washington brought to it. That idea of innocence of white hats, which is a phrase they used all the time in right. the beginning. That idea of really fighting for good. At that time, we didn't know how messed up her family was. And yeah. the fact that she was carrying on this affair with the president was so out of character yeah. for the goodness that was Olivia Pope. So, Whereas, could you see Taraji having an affair with the president? Sure, but but not without the smirk that she kind of carries yeah. around all the time. No, she doesn't have that same nobility uh, in terms of always fighting for the for what's right. And is that tempered and 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 is my impression of her kind of influenced by Cookie? Of course. <laughs> Who is the polar opposite? Yes. Of course. But Carrie Washington couldn't play Cookie either. No. It's uh, no, you're right. I would not want to see right now. And yet Taraji in Hidden Figures is a mathematician. Initially, according to the um, trailers kind of meek at the beginning, right? Right. Meek by circumstance because people of color had to, at NASA, work in an entirely different room. It was labeled a room for colored people. I mean, that's what the sign said. Yeah. And be kind of obviously… Deferential. Deferential is the word I was looking for. Subservient yeah. was the one that was coming to mind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It is… Not cookie. It's not cookie. <laughs> and this is what we call playing against type, right? Yeah. This is what people love, the idea that a role like this can change people's perception of you. But having said that, it still has to be a role that works, a role that you can bring something to. And I, what I loved when she was talking about Scandal was the idea that she couldn't bring something to this. There was nothing for her to bring. It was not for her. I thought that was really interesting. You always characterize it this way, Duanna. It's seeing the nuts and bolts of um, the process, be it the audition process, being the casting process, then being like the actual finding the character process, the nuts and bolts of it. And it's amazing that we're getting to a place where they're talking about it more and more. I do not remember actors being so willing to um, give us those nuts and bolts like 10 years ago. Well, they maybe used to be a bit more scandalous. You have that story that you love of Gwyneth Paltrow stealing oh, yeah. the Shakespeare in Love script from Winona Ryder's house. But I think that's pre-internet. I think now everybody knows who's up for everything and the offers that happen are much quicker anyway and much more public. So that's really very interesting. Yeah. And there are like urban legends that come out of it. You know, I guess… Urban legends, like to me, my understanding is that story about Gwyneth Paltrow and Shakespeare in Love and Winona Ryder became almost an urban legend. Like it's, you know, you don't even have to have seen the movie Shakespeare in Love to have kind of known that story if you're like It's a, a great story lover. on its own. Yeah, for um, sure. And now Taraji and people like Taraji and Ryan Reynolds um, in that same interview talked about how he auditioned for a Coen Brothers movie and didn't get it and then obviously was like, and I fucking was all wrong for it, obviously. But… They're openly talking about things they missed out on. Now, do you have to get to a certain point 
you know, to be invited by Variety to be on these panels, to be invited by The Hollywood Reporter to be on these panels. You're obviously in an award season conversation. So the acclaim is either coming to you or skirting around you. You've achieved to a certain level this respect. Can you only talk about it then? Can you be like, uh, I don't know, can you be um, Kate Bosworth <laughs> and talk about all the shit that you've been rejected from? I hope so. I think it's more interesting. And I think that sometimes we know the stories m- more because they're off-center a little bit, because they're the people that you wouldn't quite expect. I think it's always more interesting for us. Whether or not it's more interesting for them, I don't know. I think you don't talk about it when you have no work. It's only interesting when you are riding high on something and you say, oh, and by the way, yeah, I totally lost out on the role for this, whatever this was. I wonder if you're more generous about that than I am because, like, given my personality and the way I see it, like, if a Kate Bosworth, for example, was like, oh, I went for um, the Anne Hathaway role in this movie, you know what I would do is I would say, as if Kate Bosworth, right? But that's, I think, the key here. That's grasping and terrible and trying (laughs) to make herself bigger because she wants, you know, to point that out. I think it's more interesting when Anne Hathaway says, oh my God, I desperately wanted the role in… I don't know, because I said so, that went to Mandy Moore. Uh, you know, the idea that back in the day, I really hoped for X. I'm sure there are Ryan Gosling and Ryan Reynolds continuums. Of, yeah. We didn't get Ryan A. We may as well go for <laughs> Ryan B. Uh, and I'm sure that there are people who are consistently losing out parts to one another. I think that's a, a well-known thing that, again, if you're of a type, you're going to be losing parts to that person who then, if you're any good, is going to lose the next part to you. I mean, I just find it interesting that we're getting all excited about their candor and praising them, kind of. Um, And yet, I'm trying to see if I should check myself because, like, fuck, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. So it's easy for him to sit in this position as Deadpool and be like, the Coen brothers didn't want me. But I think those are two sides of the same coin. I don't think anybody is saying, please hire me. Or that these are pleas for people to see them in a different way. Am I hearing you right? Yeah. I, I just think that it's easier. I think you're in a better position. You're in a, a more secure position from that perspective than if you are still trying to get to be Deadpool. I don't know if you can be that candid. Well, so here's an interesting one that actually makes me crazy the remake of Independence Day that, uh, or pardon me, the sequel to Independence Day that is happening 20 years after the original. Yes. Recast everybody in their old roles. That is brought back everybody in their same roles. With the exception of? Mae Whitman. Yes. Who had the role as a six, seven-year-old child, but does not have the role in the sequel. And six or seven-year-old children are crapshoot. But in Mae Whitman's case, she is a player in Hollywood. She is in feature films, in fact, carried feature films and is writing, co-writing and producing The Royal We for herself to star in. It's a really weird choice in that instance. And so that speaks to both parts. That speaks to 
the candor to talk about it, but also, I mean, arguably going to better things, but uh, but also kind of a little bit humble to say, isn't this weird that I can't have the role that was mine that I played? Yep. Yeah. It's it's interesting. And so the machinations of it, there's that word again, huh. are fascinating, maybe except when they're not, but I think they always are. Maybe I'm the only one. So I am recently fascinated by this podcast, which I have been evangelizing to you about. Yes. And frankly, I need a longer commute because I don't have enough time <laughs> for all the podcasts in my life. I'll get home Be sometimes. Be careful what you wish for. I'll get to my destination in the morning and my podcast is not finished. I sort of get frustrated. But the Oprah podcast is just three episodes called Making Oprah. And they are three episodes that Oprah is on that are about the evolution of the Oprah show from where she began in Baltimore all the way through. And partly it's the story that we know in terms of who Oprah was and how she arrived and all those famous lines of hers, I'm black and I'm overweight. And the guy hiring her said, so, so am I. So there's that, but there's also a lot about how the producers who were working alongside her chose the topics that they chose, how they became a phenomenon, how they got there. Interesting or no? Uh, interesting in terms of that nuts and bolts question? Sure. Well, for me, for for me personally, yeah. Like, I, I, that's why I love that show. What, what was that show on her… We called it producer porn. Producer porn. The Oprah 25th anniversary there you go. show was produced by Oprah and Harpo herself. And it was behind the scenes of that final season that they did. Yes. And I'll tell you why it was extra interesting to me. Because I like Oprah. Like everybody likes Oprah. I had roommates over the years who would tape Oprah. But I realized Oprah was never doing shows about work. Yeah. And yet, Oprah was obviously obsessed with work. Yes. She worked all the time. Her yeah. producers worked all the time. That show proved it. But the actual Oprah Winfrey show never focused on work. Right. Mostly because she was on in the daytime. And so the people who are home to watch it in the daytime before the advent of… The internet. And DVRs and all the rest yeah. of it were mostly people who were not primarily concerned with a workplace. But it's fascinating and the way that they determined how to put a topic on the air was to say, are we telling Susie, that was their sort of mannequin yeah. for who yeah. was at home, are we telling Susie within the first five minutes why she should care about today's topic? And I thought that was a really fascinating metric to use for almost anything. Well, and that show was porn for us. Like, we would text back and forth, you, me, a couple of our other friends, producer porn, because it was the nuts and bolts of it. She yelled at Jennifer Hudson. <laughs> Do you remember the episode? She, oh, she yelled at Jennifer Hudson. She yelled at Jennifer Hudson. Who was late. She yelled at her producers. There were <laughs> frantic calls trying to find the right cashmere sweaters for the right giveaways. It is, if you haven't seen it, it's excellent. The it's Oprah so 25th good. anniversary. Uh, if you know where to find it, because I'm always jonesing for it, preferably legal. I have a thing about the illegal downloads. I'm shackled with these these ethics of mine. Uh, that would be super great. Please hit us up. Let us know. 
And the podcast is called Making Oprah. And part of the joy of it is that the host and uh, the the creator of this podcast, uh, whose name is Jen White, is so clearly such an Oprah Winfrey fan and really walks a really interesting line between being obsessed with Oprah and wanting to extract everything she can from her idol and making sure that she asks all the right questions. That's a really, you're right. That is a really interesting work line to follow. And I found that some people have been able to do it well. Like there are a few actually excellent Harry Potter fan sites and Harry Potter, I don't know how what you call it, management of the canon. Um, sure. They do a great job of collecting, archiving, curating the information, and of course, appropriately idolizing the franchise, and yet without getting into like gross territory where you know these people are unreasonable and probably um, writing kinds of the romances that, uh, you know, those, you know, spending time on that kind of craziness. Don't be maligning fanfic. I'm going to tell Rainbow Rowell on you. Sorry, the conspiracy theories. Sorry, the conspiracy theories that are like damaging and ridiculous. Anyway, but so that's an interesting thing that her work is able to um, at the same time respect the, I guess, journalistic integrity or the production integrity of it as well as honor the person that she's idolized. Sure. And so this actually brings to mind a different podcast, and I found it really interesting because we talk a lot about, do I have to care about so-and-so? Do I have to care about this or that? I can't remember the last one I asked you. I ask you, you, yeah, we ask each other that on a daily basis, which is a really fun game that we, I, I, should we recommend it to other people? Yeah, absolutely. Do I need to care about In fact, Do I need to care about? We could even make it a segment. (laughs) Do I need to care about this person? Yes. Okay. Our introductory, um, our introductory do I need to care about is… Do I need to care about Sarah Ramos? Sarah Ramos, if you don't know, is a working actress who was on Parenthood. That was kind of her most visible role. She has also been in the news. She wrote and directed a short film recently and is also on this podcast called This Week Had Me Like, which is actually kind of about celebrity interactions. And uh, she and her co-host were talking about why celebrity gossip is maligned and why it's not gossip in so many words, but it also is. And of course, we don't need to explain to each other why gossip is awesome. And they defended it. Absolutely defended it. But I think that it's really interesting because uh, Sarah Ramos, if you have no idea who we're talking about and want to see her, is playing the new young ingenue on The Affair, which is airing Sunday nights, has just begun its first two episodes. And I could be wrong, but you know what happens to a young ingenue on that show. Like, there's some things to Mm -hmm. be played. But what's so interesting recently with she and all kinds of others in her class is that they don't just do one thing. They're not just acting and waiting around for the role to come because – there aren't any, or because it's a long wait or whatnot. There's a whole generation of young performers, people, interesting people who write, who direct, who perform, who do podcasts, who do albums, who do anything that they can to keep the work going and to kind of self-generate for themselves and to make themselves a little bit more relevant. So do you care? Not going to lie, I definitely care harder 
because of the affair. Sure, absolutely. So that's the marquee thing. What I do love is that you're talking about like, yes, this cohort of content creators. I mean, everybody has to come in now, it feels like, with not just your raw talent and this show and this show, but oh, I've written this, I have I have a play, I have a podcast, I have this many followers on Instagram. Like it is, it's liberating and awesome on one hand, and I wonder if it's overwhelming on the other. I think both probably, yeah. Because it feels a little bit like college admissions. Yeah, I think it is. And all of those things that are maybe super under the radar lead to the things that are higher profile, lead to the things where you're like, well, I can find her on the affair every Sunday night. Or I know what parenthood is. I can wrap my head around that. And so I think that's very interesting that, yeah, there's more pressure than ever to be doing stuff, generating stuff. What else do you have? She has this quote about this film that she uh, wrote and directed uh, and starred in, Fluffy, and about how she was telling some guy who, quote, didn't seem impressed enough for my taste. And I was like, yeah, I also co-directed a short film that won an award at Sundance. And he was like, oh, I want to see that one. I don't know if this is more for women, but it's annoying to feel like you need accolades or something like an award from Sundance to legitimize you when you're like, if you just watched it, you'd probably see that it was good. That's frustrating, but I think that people in general need to be told how to feel about something. Like, that's kind of what you do, right? You tell people, this is good. And I think the extension from that is that you tell people, I'm doing lots of stuff. I'm busy. I got this going on. I got that going on. Right. Nobody checks to see if anything is good. (laughs) It doesn't really matter. It's true. But, I mean, whenever we go to L.A., we eavesdrop on these conversations all the time. We'll go for lunch at wherever and… All around us, everybody is fucking busy. Yeah. And I think it actually turns into stuff more often than it doesn't. Does it? I think so. It's not always, oh, we got a big three-picture deal because of this. But even if you do a little nothing thing for so-and-so's web series that never turns into anything, maybe you meet somebody there who winds up working on the other thing that becomes a collaboration about this thing and that thing. It keeps your IMDb moving so that it looks different every time or your web page or your Instagram or whatever it is that you are updating to make you look like you're doing more. It's so ironic that you're right. It's easier than ever to make your own content, but it means you have fewer excuses than ever to not be doing a thing, to be in something, to be working. So what do you say to the purist who's like, I just want to do this thing. I don't know. I mean, who is that person? Read for TV shows. Great, but let, you know, come to me when you're going to be usurped by the person who everybody knows because they have a web series. That's where I think we are now. So let's talk about things that have a built-in fan base. We saw the new trailer for Beaches. (laughs) (laughs) This is how we wanted to end today's podcast. Yes. Is on the Lifetime remake. It's Lifetime, right? It is Lifetime, yeah. The Lifetime remake of Beaches starring… Uh, starring Idina Menzel and Neil, Neil Long. Um, and I don't think there's a different trailer than the one that we saw, which, spoiler, is scored entirely with the wind beneath my wings playing the whole time <laughs> that the uh, 
that the tear jerking scenes are going on. I, okay, so when did I see it? I saw it, what, like three days ago. The minute I saw the headline, I was like, oh, please, yes, click. Um, watched it and then within three seconds sent it to you. And I was like, uh, let's do this. Obviously. We're watching it. We are watching. Is everybody in agreement that we're watching the remake of Beaches on Lifetime? Together? I, like, is everybody coming <laughs> like, over? Like, is it yeah, going probably. to be a group experience? Yeah. And not ironically, but also maybe ironically, but kind of not. Right? Like, I'm like, not watching it to, like, laugh at it. I'm actually watching it to, you know, feel the feels. It was one of the first watch it because you want to cry movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really interesting because it is a movie that I kind of can't believe it got made it would be very out of fashion now. It's just about women and their friendship. Yes. It totally passes the Bechdel test. Yes. It is about feelings and uh, <laughs> who is on top or who isn't uh-huh. and what that's like and how friendships change over time. I don't know if you could get that movie made today for a lot yes. of reasons. Hence, uh, it's on Lifetime. Yeah. I'm really into the casting. Yeah. I'm curious about who's going to play the little girls. Because, of course, the other great thing about Beach's original recipe to me is that Mayim Bialik is the 11-year-old yes. girl in the beginning. So speaking of paying attention to people who are, you know, on the upswing. Yeah. Do I need to care about? Yeah. Yes. Do I need to care yeah. about the little girls in the Beach's remake? You might because they might turn into somebody. Like you need to care about probably um, at least three members of the kid cast of uh, Blackish. Oh, yes. Like, Absolutely. So who is the person that you need to care about from the beaches? Is it going to be Bette Midler or Barbara Hershey? Or, sorry, Nia Long or <laughs> Dina Menzel? And I arguably you should already care about them, but will it do <laughs> new things for them and launch new careers for them? It might. Um, there's always a bit of a tone when people say lifetime, even though it's changing. Yes. But earlier in this conversation, I mentioned Constance Zimmer, and that was not a household name. Before, a couple of years ago, before Unreal came back, and uh-huh. now people know who she is. She's a thing. On a show on? Lifetime. <laughs> yes. So it's, check your tone, check your <laughs> check your mocking. Um, but I'm delighted. I love these remakes. I think this kind of thing is awesome. I, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a couple of remakes of Steel Magnolias, and I'm here for all of them. Wasn't and that was the Queen Latifah one, there right? Was the Queen Latifah yeah. one, and then I feel like there was a stage revival. Okay, I could be making that up, but there was renewed interest. Yes. Let's say, I'm here for that. I'm here oh. for that. I'm here for the new beaches. Listen, I'm here, even though they are going for it. I mean, in every fucking frame of that trailer, it was designed to basically make you fall on the ground and not be able to get up until you had like expended all the moisture in your body. Oh, the whole thing is baby blue. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is wall to wall baby blue with the waves and the tears and yes. the hugs and the like cashmere that and they're wrapped I in. I was okay with it, it. Is that what Nicholas Sparks is for? Nicholas Sparks movies? No, but fuck him. Okay. Because yes, in theory, that's what Nicholas Sparks movies are for, but his through line always is the dude is the best and he sacrificed the most and poor guy. And then the girl is always like, 
well, boo-hoo, didn't she do this and just stand around and wait for him? And he's the most loyal and the most patient. So oh, fuck yeah, yeah, him. no, whatever. I'm just saying, is it about hugging at the beach? I feel like these movies are about hugging yeah, and crying. Yeah, a little bit. And yes, hugging, crying, and dying. At the beach. <laughs> hugging, crying, and dying at the beach. Yes. yes. Yeah. And beaches, I think, has to fit into that same genre. Hugging, crying, and dying. Yes. yes. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another movie in and around this that I would like to be remade in the same way, in that same era keep thinking about Pretty Woman. It's totally wrong, but I feel those same feelings of walking around the video store trying to figure out what you're going to rent and just picking up Pretty Woman yes. again. Can you, oh, well, I don't know. You let us know. Has Duanna just committed blasphemy? A little bit. Um, and yeah, could, or it could Lifetime redo a Pretty Woman? <laughs> It would give a chance for Julia to come out and say some things, and you always like when she's on oh, a press fuck, tear. I love her. Yes. So. Say some fucking judgy shit. Well, this was fun. Yes. Thank you for listening and for your emails. We got such great emails uh, from last week, and we're so appreciative. And so keep sending to us. Um, keep yelling at us. And good news, because this is going to go up on iTunes. Yasik promised us that the third episode – um, after the third episode, he would get it up on iTunes. So we are now on iTunes. So leave us your comments there. You can find us there. You can comment on the name, on the blaspheming, on other topics that we maybe should cover as we talk about the business and the work and the women who work in it and around it. And I look forward to next time, Post Hamilton. Oh, bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.